Well, that is a great song to kick off our study of the book of Joshua. Today we're beginning a new series on Joshua, and I would encourage you, make it part of your Bible reading plan for the next 20 weeks or so to just work your way through this book over and over and over again. We're going to go about a chapter at a time. You are going to see God's sovereignty and his power, his holiness, his grace all throughout this book, which we will look at some of the first chapter today. Let me, let me pray and ask the Lord to be with us before we dive in. Our Lord, we have just declared together that you are great, your name is great, and that you are sovereign, that you've not forgotten your people, that your plans for us are blessing. And we believe that. We sing these songs because we believe it's true. And oh Lord, would you teach us now by your word and the power of your spirit Give us courage, give us strength as we face the enemies who would like to push back against your people. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here's how this book of Joshua begins. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Now, for Joshua... This has to be an experience of deja vu all over again. Forty years prior to this event, Joshua was standing in basically the same place, right on the precipice of the promised land, and God said to Moses, Moses, get the people ready. I'm going to give them the land that I have promised to their forefathers. So if you know the story, this goes way back to Abraham, the great patriarch, the father of the Jews, Abraham. God brought Abraham out and he said, Abraham, look as far as you can, north, south, east, west, as far as your eye can see, I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. But Abraham didn't actually own hardly anything in that land. He was given a little place as a gravesite. But Abraham went to sleep with his fathers. His son Isaac received the same promise, but he didn't get to inherit the land. His son Jacob, he didn't get to inherit the land. Jacob had 12 sons, what we now know as the 12 tribes of Israel, and they ended up down in Egypt in slavery for over four centuries. And in that time period, they grew up into this massive amount of people, a great nation called the nation of Israel, and they were treated harshly by the Pharaoh, and they cried out to God, save us, help us. And God says, I remember my promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now is the time. 
So God calls this man Moses, who comes to Pharaoh and he says, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And we know the story, the ten plagues, the power of God displayed, darkness covering the earth and the water turning to blood, the frogs, the locusts, and then finally the big one, where the angel of death swept through the land and killed the firstborn sons of all of the Egyptians. And finally, Pharaoh says, go, take, his, take your people and go. And Moses leads them out to the Red Sea. And now they're trapped because Pharaoh turned, changed his mind and turned against him. So now the, the, the Egyptians are coming after the Israelites. And they're trapped between the, the warriors, the soldiers, and the sea. And Moses raises up his hands. And God parts the seas. And the people of Israel walk through on dry ground. And then the Egyptians go in after them. And all the water comes in and destroys God's enemies. And Moses then leads the people right up to the edge of the land. And here it is, the vast land of Canaan's land, it was called. And God says to Moses, "Get, prepare a, a reconnaissance mission. Send in 12 spies, one man from each of the tribes, and go in and spy out the land and see what kind of land is it. Is it prosperous? Is it fruitful? Are they big and strong? Are they weak? Is it fortified cities? Is it, is it suburbs? What is it? And I'm going to give this land to my people after 400 years of waiting. So Moses sends in the spies. For 40 days, they're in the land looking, observing. And in Numbers chapter 13, we read this report. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told them and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. So you see what's going on here, right? The spies come back and they say, yes, it is a rich, prosperous land, but there are giants in the land. They're big and they're strong. You hear the, the fear in the voice of these men. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were, were in their sight. 
There seems to be a theme of grasshoppers these days in our sermons. Imagine it. These men say, those guys are so big, we're like little bugs. We can't go in there. Have you ever been part of a community where a handful of fearful people spread fear through the entire community and everybody's afraid because the message of some is, it's going to kill us all? I've been in a community or two like that. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, catch this. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Can you imagine? These are the people who were so oppressed in Egypt, they cried out desperate for God to deliver them. God brings them up, and in the face of giants in the land, they say, oh, we wish we could go back to Egypt. Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, the land which flows with milk, with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to the sons of Israel. Every father in this place has had this blessed experience. You're sitting in the living room, maybe reading a book, and you hear the little kiddos in the other room, and they forget that you're with an earshot. And they start fighting among one another, and they get mean. And you hear one of them throw something, the other one says, ouch, and then they throw something back, and there's this big scuffle going on. And they're getting animated, and they're getting upset, and they're in all kinds of mischief. And then they hear you close your book, and it gets deadly quiet. And then they hear the footsteps, and here comes Dad. He heard it all. How foolish are we to forget 
that God hears everything. He sees everything. He knows every thought in our head. He knows every word that comes out of our mouth. There is nothing we can do. There's no sin. There's no fear. There's no, no thought in our mind that God isn't fully aware of at all times. How foolish of sinners to think they can get away with it. We can't. He hears the gossip. He hears the slander. He knows the intentions of our heart. He knows the plots and the schemes. He knows the little sins and the big sins. He knows them all. And when he decides it's time, he will address those sins. And you know, as we read the scripture, near the top of the list over and over again of the things that provokes the anger of God, faithless fear and ingratitude. We see this over and over again in the scripture, especially with the nation of Israel. People who grumble, people who complain, people who look at the circumstances and they shrink back in fear when he has said, I will take care of you? That provokes the ire of God. He shows up in this setting to these people and he says later on, I swore in my wrath not a single person in the nation of Israel who's over the age of 20 will enter that promised land. And they didn't. With the exceptions of Joshua and Caleb, the entire generation of fearful, unfaithful men and women died in the wilderness. He led them back out into the desert and for 40 years they wandered around until that entire generation was dead. Because when they stood on the edge of the promised land and God said, I'm going to give it to you, they said, no, God isn't able to deliver us. There are giants in that land. And God says, you have something much more to fear than what your eyes can see. Fear of the Lord should trump all other fears. So for four decades, God did what he said he would do. And then he brings Joshua back to this place where he was 40 years ago, and he says, Joshua, arise. It's time to take the land. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. 
For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn away from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua said, let's go. There's something about that repeated phrase, I will not leave you or forsake you. I will be with you. That is a common refrain in the scripture that God gives to his people, especially those that he calls into difficult times. And it's important for us to understand, he's not simply saying, I will be with you in, in a kind of empathy or sympathy. That's not what he means. If I go walking downtown tonight and a bunch of men come at me dressed in black and they have some weapons, and my wife is there with me, I know that after I am beaten and pummeled, she will come up over to me and she'll pat my little head and say, oh, my bunny, I love you. But that's not really comforting as I'm about to be beaten. Far more comforting is if somebody else comes up and says, Hey, I've got a whole army of men, and there's a tank coming, right? I will be with you in battle, and I've got bigger guns than they have. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. Bring them on. Whenever God says, I will be with you, he doesn't mean I'm just going to be there alongside to pat your little head and say, oh, I know that hurts. No, it says, he means I'm going to be with you in power. Think about Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. The rod is, the, is a weapon the shepherd used to beat the wolves away. And the staff is the shepherd's staff to say, I am here and I can yank you back from danger. When God says, I'll be with you, he says, I'll be with you in power. I've got this. Don't shrink back. Don't retreat. Don't be intimidated. Be strong and courageous because I am here. We're going to see this all throughout the book of Joshua, the different ways that God shows him, I am taking charge of this battle. It's going to be a battle. He tells Joshua, go, I'm going to give you the land. But it's not like Joshua just gets to sit back and watch it happen. Now, he does in the first instance, right? When we get to the battle of Jericho, that one's easy. 
That's how I would like my battles to be. All I got to do is go march around a little, you know, a few days, and then all the walls come tumbling down, and I win. But God only did that the first time. After that, the men had to draw their swords. They had to go and attack. There are real enemies. They really were big, giant people in the land. They had to fight, and they got bloody. God does not promise to keep us out of the fray. He doesn't promise we won't have injuries and battle scars. But when he sends us on the mission, he says, I will be out front of you, and I'll give you victory. Be strong and courageous. Men, you need to listen up. That word courageous, in the Greek translation, it is the form of the word man. Be strong and manly. We don't retreat. We advance. We don't cower. We don't shrink back in fear. We stand firm against the enemy, knowing that our captain is the king of kings and lord of lords. And that's what Joshua found out. As we see in the upcoming chapters, they took the promised land. They drove out the enemies. They won the victory. So that was 3,500 years ago. It's a nice story. Make a great movie. But what does it mean for us? The first word in the book of Joshua in the Hebrew is a letter that is called a vav. It's kind of like an upside down J. It is the word that is usually translated and. I've written a few books. Some of you have written some books. You've all written essays, blog posts, articles. Has anybody ever started one of their writings with the word and? You can start with the word and. I went back and looked it up. Genesis does not start with the word and, but Exodus does. Leviticus does. Numbers does. Deuteronomy doesn't. Joshua does. Judges does. On down the line. And, 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 and. What does and communicate? It's called a conjunction, right? Continuity. It joins this with that, the story goes on. Deuteronomy ends, and Moses died, and God says to Joshua, Joshua, get up, it's your turn. Think about it, in, in Israel's experience, Moses, the great deliverer, the great champion, the great miracle worker, Moses is dead. Now, they didn't love Moses, right? I mean, they, they turned on him over and over and over again. But he was their leader, and he brought some sense of stability, and he was God's spokesman, and now he's dead. And what's the temptation? Oh, no, Moses is dead. What do we do? That's man's perspective. God's perspective? Next man up. Moses is dead. Joshua, get up. Arise, lead these people. 
God is not impressed with Moses. God is not thinking, oh, what do I do? Moses is dead. Now how am I going to deliver these people? Yeah, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua, you're my new servant. Get up. Lead my people. You know how the beginning of Judges begins? And Joshua, the servant of the Lord, was dead. And he raises up Gideon and Jephthah and so on. This is a long, continuous story. And none of these characters are the main character. It's just and, and, next man up, and, next man up, until. One day in this little town, Nazareth, an angel shows up to a carpenter named Joseph. He says, Joseph, your fiancé is pregnant. Don't worry, Joseph. It's not what you think. She's not bearing the child of some man. She's bearing the child of God. And Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. For he will deliver, he will save his people from their sins. Now that's how he would have said it if he was speaking Greek. You shall call his name Jesus, Jesus. But if the angel happened to be speaking in Hebrew to Joseph, he would have said, you shall call his name Joshua. Because Joshua is the Hebrew name that is translated Jesus, Jesus. Did you know that Joshua is not his given name? Joshua's dad did not call him Joshua. He called him Hosea, which means he saves. There's a little almost footnote in Numbers 13 when Moses sends out the 12 spies it lists all these men and the tribes they belong to. And just at the end of that section, it says, and Moses changed Hosea's name from he saves to Yahshua. Yahweh saves. And from that point forward, this man is known as Joshua, the Lord saves. Well, now we know why. Because that Joshua was not the capital J Joshua. He was not the ultimate Joshua. He was a picture. He was a foreshadow. He was a preview. He led the 12 tribes of Israel into the promised land. But you know what? They didn't last there too long. Because after Joshua died... In the book of Judges, we get this repeated refrain, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. And they quickly abandoned God for idols, and God judged them. And we see this over and over again in the book of, in the book of Judges. Eventually, David rises, and he leads the people to righteousness, and Solomon for a while, and then after that, it's just bad news. And eventually God brings another nation and destroys Israel and takes them into exile. And you think, what's going on in this story? Jesus is what's going on in this story. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of Joshua. And as Jesus Christ lives a perfect life, dies on the cross, rises again, he calls together not the 12 tribes of Israel, but the 12 apostles, and he sends them out into the world. Not just Palestine, not just Jerusalem. Sends them into the entire world. He says, the land is filled with giants. But that's my land. It has been promised to me before the foundation of the world. Remember we saw this in Psalm 2? Dan did a great job last week. Psalm 2, the Messiah asks the, the Lord, give me the nations as my inheritance. The Lord says, I give them to you. Jesus sends his disciples into the world to take his inheritance, and we've been doing it for 2,000 years, and the call is the same to us today. Take the land. Not with swords, not with spears, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the truth of Jesus Christ. We spent the summer engaging with what may be the most significant ideological assault against Christianity of our day. And one of the, the big to-do items, one of the big practical outworkings of that we said was vote. Well, we did that, and we're still waiting to see what the results are. Assume with me for a minute that when they unpack everything, just assume it is not just a red wave, but a red tsunami. Let's just assume that the, the, the Marxism, the leftism is just completely squashed politically. That doesn't change anybody's hearts. Yes, we need to vote. Yes, we need to care about all those things we talked about this summer. But we have to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we're going to bring transformation in our land, if we're going to take Colorado Springs and the United States for Jesus Christ, we have to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit has to come and change people from the inside. Yes, we want laws to be good and godly, but that doesn't change people on the inside. And there's a limit to how much impact we can have politically, but we have unlimited power in proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. He said, this is the power of God for salvation, the gospel. And every single one of us is called to do that. We're not Joshua. Jesus is Joshua. We are the warriors that our captain is saying, get out there and penetrate the kingdom of, of darkness with the gospel of light. Is it a terrifying place sometimes? Yes. There really are giants in the land. And they're against us. Some of them even vote red. And they're against us. And what is the command of our captain? Be strong and courageous. And take the land. And lo, I am with you 
Brother Rich, would you come and ask our king to lead us?